When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the weekly Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Argyle Chat. Joining me, Jack Ball, today is podcast regular Chris Errington. Hello, Chris. Hi, Jack. And we're also joined by a special guest and former Argyle striker, Martin Gritton. Thanks very much for appearing on this podcast. My pleasure, my pleasure. Good to be back on. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I'm just I'm back in London now after the weekend. Um, uh, Trip up. My brother lives near Coventry up in Derby, so it wasn't too much of a hardship uh, to kind of I was stopping over with him the night before. But yeah, I was imagining it was a, a long journey back for the fans that went to the game. It wasn't too bad, really, was it? It's going to be far worse this season. That's that's the thing. Well, it's all <laughs> relative, isn't it? But as as Martin knows, you know, when you're at Argyle, you almost get a, a little bit used to some of the long trips, and yeah. they almost become the norm. And uh, if you said to somebody that you'd be getting home at half past nine on a Saturday night uh, at most clubs in the country, they'd think that was really late. <laughs> But, yep. but when we get back to Plymouth at half past nine, it's, oh, well, this is quite, Big smiles this is quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. So before we analyse everything to do with Argyle, what are you up to these days, Martin? So um, I'm actually, I think last time we spoke, I was working for a, a PR agency, doing a lot of work on New Balance football. I've, kind of, I've moved across now, I'm a communications manager at the Cricket World Cup, so I'm based at Lord, so it's a lovely, it's a lovely place to be based. I'm um, still working in sport um, and just getting to work on a big event so the Cricket World Cup's coming to England and well next year it's next summer so and there's a lot of planning going in from our side obviously there's a lot of cricket going on at the minute anyway so Lodge is a busy place to work with test matches and one day is the 2020 with Middlesex so it's it's a really exciting sport to be working on actually because it's um, slightly different from football but but still um, you know has such a big profile and uh, yeah it's, I'm really looking forward to working on the big event next year so you're being uh, used to good surroundings of Lords then? Yeah, so um, yeah, Lords is just it's a, an amazing old place to work, uh, and, and obviously the modernisation with ECB based here. So we've got some, you know, great facilities, uh, and also just a bit of serene calm in London, which is a very rare thing. You know, <laughs> being able to come off the main road and then within a, you know, a few seconds you're just surrounded by the greenery and the, the, the kind of leafy area of St John's Wood. So it's beautiful. Fantastic. And also, obviously, you're doing some co-commentary on Argyle Games for BBC Radio Devon. So how, how did that come about? Were you always interested in doing that side of things? Yeah, so uh, I, I think it kind of came through... I'd, I've always kept in touch, and I'm keen, as you guys probably know, I'm keen on Twitter, and I always keep in touch with the guys locally, and I always keep an eye on the, on the results. Um, the guys that work locally at BBC Radio Devon, I think it's, it's a constant continuation. The players always kind of supplied an away role uh, where possible when, whenever Chris or the, any of the guys could do it so um, I, I did it a few times there and always enjoyed it and I was, I've been doing some bits and bobs on the radio down here in London just uh, on like kind of football league roundups as I have quite a few football league clubs to my name so um, it's been, been good to help out there so I think my name was just kind of in the hat and, and um, it was nice to be asked whenever the Argyle games are away in, in London or the surrounding areas so Coventry kind of just about comes on my jurisdiction and you enjoying it so far? You've been to obviously that Coventry yeah. and Walsall so far this season. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I've been doing it. So uh, I did it all the last season, and um, I think the the best thing is being able to just the, the difference being able to sit and watch the games. So when I speak to Argyle fans in London and some of my uh, 
my mate here, James Stables, who commented on, on Twitter, actually. He's a, he's a guy speaker, and not being able to get to the games means you've got to either listen on the radio or you pick up you pick up just the, the Twitter feed or, and have to watch it that way. So you don't really get a sense of the new players and with the kind of constant, uh, you could almost call it a kind of revolving door of players at that level, you don't get a real sense of how the team's playing or, you know, so I'm sure we'll come on to the game in a minute, but some of the guys really settling in well and, and you know, a, a real a fresh lineup compared to how it was last year. So it's um, getting a sense of it from that is, is, is difficult. So being there in person is brilliant. And just finally, before moving on to Argo, you do your own podcast as well, don't you? Yeah, that's right. So um, there's a podcast that I work on called The Whistleblowers, so I share duties with uh, another host on that. But that's just kind of a weekly roundup of the, the Premier League, the, the, the stable that it's in. Is, uh, um, there's, there's other podcasts with like kind of a Chelsea, Spurs, West Ham, Arsenal, you name it. They, they, do, they do kind of the main teams. Ours is a, a roundup one, so I'll get different guests on. Um, I mean, from either the world of journalism, but just try to, yeah, various different people on that, that have got a real passion for the team and can speak about it because we do go off on tangents, as my football league knowledge is probably <laughs> going to take us in some you know, more obscure places, but uh, it's always good fun as well. So, yeah, thanks, thanks for discussing that. And where can Argo fans find that if they want to give it a listen? <laughs> yes, so that's it, the Whistleblowers. We've got um, uh, a Twitter handle, so it's thewhistleblowers.net if you, if you want to listen online, it's an app to listen to as well, or you could just uh, get that through if you follow me on Twitter or go and have a look I'm usually tweeting about that or something else so you can uh, yeah, you can generally find it but yeah no, go and have a listen and see what you think fantastic right well we better crack on with talking about our goal Chris another game another penalty what did you make of it overall uh, it's, it's fine margins at the moment, isn't it? You know, Argyle are conceding a penalty in, in each game. It, it's led to a goal in each game, although the, the first one was saved by Matt Macy at Walsall and then uh, Andy Cook followed up to score. But it's it's led to three goals. Um, Argyle haven't conceded a goal in open play. So it's it's those fine margins, you know, mm. that the penalties are proving really costly. Um, generally, defensively, they're not looking too bad. Um, it's in the final third in the attacking sense that... Um, the problems are at the moment. It hasn't really clicked. Uh, you know, Taylor Carey and Lemires were so effective for Argyle in the second half of last season, and for one reason or another, none of those three have have really hit uh, hit top form yet. So um, it's still very much a, a work in progress, I think. Which, you know, I don't know if Martin agrees. You know, when you make ten, eleven signings in the summer, Martin, it's it's probably pretty unusual for a team just to, you know, hit their full stride straight away isn't it although it is yeah. frustrating and they haven't been able to do that uh, no you've hit the nail on the head there Chris when you say the margins because the thing is when you get any sort of momentum going we actually saw it at the start of Walsall the first half there was momentum there was energy there was a good vibrancy about the team but the setback as soon as you can see the goal it's a bit of a sucker punch and then the good thing was last season there was a momentum and a run and you could almost pick the, the 11 that were going to be out and play give a 2-1 uh, one or two names so that consistency, I just don't think. We look at Taylor Ramirez and Kerry; they've not had the chance to click. I thought they clicked quite well at the start. Also, for whatever reason, you know, um, uh, Derek's kind of shuffled the pack, uh, and, and they've not really played together. So we, I mean, we saw Taylor come on to great effect on Saturday. But, but you're totally right. Bringing new guys in and trying to get them to play in that system is, is difficult. And you, you can see there's, um, you know, I think it's just lads getting to know each other. 
And obviously last season as well, I got had quite a slow start, and Graham Carey in particular didn't really hit his form for a fair few weeks. Um, yeah. How important is it that Graham Carey hits his form? And have, Martin, you know, when, when you've got some certain star players in the team, is it important for the rest of the team that they hit form early on? Yeah, I think so. I, again, going back to the Martin's comment, uh, if our girl had to run the green and take got that penalty and then Kerry's uh, Kerry's got you know a, an opportunity to score a goal there or or, or or some of the set pieces that have gone there because the games have they come down to very fine lines you know it's it's, it's a set piece here a set piece there uh, you know and that's the momentum in the rub of the green that was going to our girl at the end of last season again not really had it at the start of this season I I do agree as well that you know. You do need someone to spark it up front, and there needs to be that either either for someone to have a break or a little bit of individual skill. We've not we've not perhaps seen that cutting edge yet from the from the strikers. And Chris, it's different players that are making these mistakes mm. to concede the penalties. How how does Derek Adams go about stopping that? Because I suppose as a manager, you can train them all you want on the training pitch, but then when it comes to the ninety minutes, it's mm. down to the players, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw Derek on Monday morning for sort of like a, a pre Wickham Wanderers press conference, and I asked him that: Is there any anything you can do or say? Um, to to stop the penalties being conceded, and he made the basic point that stay on your feet. Two of the three penalties have come from sliding sliding tackles in the penalty area, and he wants to see the players stay on their feet a bit more, um, or not a bit more, a lot more. So um, that was that was his his answer to the question: stay on your feet. And uh, do you agree with that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, uh, the the Grand Carey one, you see it on the replay um, up at uh, Coventry. You know, it's difficult to tell whether there was contact or not, but I suppose if you slide in like that and a player goes down, um, a decision's always possible, although it was very noticeable. I thought in that particular instant, the referee clearly turned away as if he was going to let play carry on mm-hmm. and then turned back again quite a while afterwards. I mean, in a short period of time, but you know, quite a while really. Um, obviously got a call from the assistant referee um, who thought it was a penalty. In fact, it was very much like the Argyle penalty that they got against South End, where it didn't look like the referee was going to give it, and he did so on the um, on the assistant referee, and that's it. That's what it looked like happened um, on Saturday up at Coventry. It was probably the assistant, not the referee, decided there was a penalty. And Martin, I'd be interested to get your take on what, what's it like when you go back into the dressing room after a game, and one of your teammates or, or perhaps yourself has, has given away that penalty that's lost you a game. What, what's it like? What's what's it like to go in after that game and sort of face everyone? Uh, I think. It- it all depends on the situation, doesn't it? They're very different. I think Kerry's gone in with the one thing about Graham is he works really hard backwards, yes. uh, and, he's, and he's, he's gone in and he's tried to do, he's tried to be genuinely to, to presence him. And Chris, you tweeted a little series of pictures from uh, um, Dave Rowntree, which was which almost captured it perfectly. You see where he's just caught his body, he's caught the trailing leg. So in essence, he could, you know, it's contact. So you, you're always going to. Yeah say that that's probably a foul but at this level if you, I'd almost as Derek says stand, get people to stay on their feet because let's see how good they are at finishing those because they were not good finishers those guys in the, on Saturday I don't think I don't think Coventry about their stride yet and there's a bit of tentativeness about it so make them make it short rather than you know give away a foul and then guarantee them to have an easier chance on the spot um, I go back to your point at the, the dressing room thing it's, if someone's giving away our pros are always very honest in the fact that in the dressing room if they've given away a handball or or done something that's, that's glaringly obvious you know they generally hold their hands up and apologise to the teammates and um, in these instances I think it's, it's, it's slightly different on Saturday 
It's definitely that's definitely the case. I mean, strikers under Derek Adams aren't prolific. Obviously, Argyle went one 0 down, and that's when they tried to throw a few bodies forward and try and get the goal. It didn't come. We know from his time at Argyle really that, that strikers aren't prolific under Derek Adams, and I guess you notice it more when a team is struggling, when the likes of Carey and Amiris aren't banging in goals. Martin, as a former striker, how difficult is it for a striker to play, make a goal-scoring impact when you're playing that sort of lone role? Um, it's difficult. I mean, we saw that. Um, I mean, in the first half. He was isolated up front on his own, and um, I mean, to be honest, it was always going to be the way. I think they were just a little bit more cautious going out and setting up that way against them. I mean, uh, Liverpool was, uh, it was almost like a four-five-one, wasn't it? Because mm. um, Joe Grant again works very hard going backwards, um, and it was it was difficult to get. Uh, Graham was kind of trying to drift inside to get the ball, um, but I think Derek Adams match play. I mean the. the, the the game management from last season, obviously, if you can set and soak up the pressure away from home, so after 70 minutes, then go and see what you can get out of it. And that game plan was working really well because, I, listen, it wasn't a game for the purists in the first 45, but Coventry weren't being able to break down our game that well. I got one creating a lot of chances, but you could see them perhaps settling in to themselves a little bit more. And also, they had the options on the bench. So when Taylor did come on, he made he made a brilliant impact. It's just kind of seeing how him and Liverpool can play together because obviously it forces one of them to go wide because he can't really play two of them down the middle and I think Lemire is coming on to fill that hole behind them and gives that support gives that strength of the supporting role so at least when they're going to head it and they're going to win it Lemire's going to pick up scraps yeah definitely and, and last season obviously our goal suffered with quite a few red cards at the start this season it's penalties although I suppose you could look at it as Derek Adams and Jamie Ness have both been sent off in two separate games so that's two red cards and three Chris, is it deja vu or is there plenty to be positive about? Well, well, yeah, you can't ignore the fact that um, you know there's there's been two red cards in three games, like you say. You, you count the Derek Adams one as well. So um, yeah, you know they they've got to stop the penalties and red cards, and uh, because you make life extremely difficult for yourselves. We saw that last season, and uh, when they had the flurry of red cards, they were losing games consistently. So it's something they need to address. You know, Derek Adams is sort of touched on the penalties and staying on, on the feet and, and discipline is, is equally important as well to make sure that they uh, you know, don't concede free ki- uh, penalties, don't concede free kicks in dangerous positions around their own box, put themselves under, under, under unnecessary pressure. So um, yeah, when, when, when things aren't quite going your way, when you're the wrong side of that fine line between success and failure, you've got to be really sharp on what you're doing and uh, make sure that you don't give the opposition any little extra boosts and uh, Help up so that uh, you know can turn a game. But de- obviously, Derek Adams' record speaks for itself. So there is plenty of reason to still be optimistic. It's still very early days, and people shouldn't forget that. Yeah, it's it's, it's three games in now of a forty-six game season. Yeah, everyone would have liked Argyle to be on more points than uh, than what they're on. You know, no more that so than Derek Adams and the players. But um, yeah, three games in, and I do, I do think you know whether we we like it or not. When you when you have a lot of new signings, it does take the team time to gel and um, you know hopefully that will come um, but yeah the, the sooner they can get a, a league win on the board and uh, build up a bit of momentum uh, in the league the better and Chris you spoke to Derek Adams after the game mm. and he made quite an interesting point that me and you have discussed in mm. a car journeys coming back from mm. a lot of away games in the past is it time for referees to face the media well I, I thought it was an interesting point he raised um, that he felt uh, in a difficult situation where of course, at the end of the game, what we're wanting to know from him was 
Did Carey concede a penalty? Was that a penalty? Should Jamie Ness have been sent off? And mm. should Argyle have had a penalty for the challenge on Ryan Taylor near the end of the game? Those were the sort of three talking points from an Argyle perspective. He hadn't seen a, a replay of any of them, so he's seen them with his eyes once, just like you and I, Jack, and, and Martin. We all saw it with our eyes once, and that was it. Um, and then, you know, there you are. We're, we're putting him on the spot, and we have to. That's what you do. Um, did, what did you think of these decisions? And, and he made the point and it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a valid one and certainly one that I've argued before is that it would be nice if referees came out and explained the decisions and Derek Adams said look I could tell you what I think and I can tell you why I think the referee made the decision but wouldn't it be better if the referee came out and told you why he gave you the decision rather than leaving grey areas how he interpreted things what have you so um, he felt that referees should come out and face the media I think that um, within certain set parameters, I, I don't think you want to go down the road of having a whole host of media surrounding a referee, haranguing him about this, that and the other. I think if there were agreed um, parameters, maybe you just have a certain amount of journalists who then share the quotes to other journalists. Um, if you have a limit on how many questions you can ask or something like that, so that the, the referee is not, you know, it's not turned into a, you know, trying to turn him into a scapegoat or anything like that, but he's genuinely trying to get from the man who made the decision why he made the decision. Or you could have someone possibly from the body that gets a statement and gives yes, it to all the media. Something like that, I think, would, would help would help the media and then we can inform the fans. And then whether we agree with the decisions or not, at least you know why it's being made and what uh, perspective the referee's coming at it from, rather than... Uh, and and I, I do sympathise with Derek Adams in this respect. You, you put the manager on the spot, but he wasn't the one that made the decision. He stood quite often a fair, fair distance from the from mm. the view. So, can we really expect a manager to honestly know exactly what's happened compared to a referee and an assistant who have been a lot closer to the action? And it must be a bit. It must be difficult for managers if they say yes, it definitely was a penalty. They go home, see the replay, and it wasn't. Yeah, they've got egg on their face. Absolutely, they? yeah. And you know, I think that was you know the Carey one was was a borderline one, wasn't it? You know, and, and how can Derek Adams honestly tell from the, from the touchline whether that was a penalty or not? And uh, I think that's what led to him making the comments. And I, I thought they were they were you know interesting, valid comments. Certainly up for this discussion about whether referees should be accountable because at the moment, you know, whether they accept this or not they aren't held accountable by anyone apart from a referee's assessor and yet we never know what happens with referee's assessors and, and reports and things mm. like that the only time you, you ever really know a referee's messed up is if you suddenly find in the Premier League that he's not ref the game in the Premier League for a couple of weeks um, Martin I'm, undoubtedly you'll have been on the end of some of these questionable decisions throughout your career um, would you like what, what's your sort of view on this incident and what's your view on, on this in general should referees have to explain their decisions do you think? Um, I think just a, a combination of uh, things that, that Chris comments Chris made, and also Derek, from Derek's quotes. Derek was it was very calm and considered feedback, considering the, you know what he did going through the match. So um, I he's got a great point. I, I agree. You maybe have a set amount of questions, and it's not really a cross examination. It's just like um, we want to ask you three questions, and these are the, uh, you know these are the points. Can you just give us um, you know explain explain your decision making? Because I would like to. know Particularly for the the Jamie Ness handball, that one uh, just to go. Well, what constitutes a yellow card in that? Because he's not put his hand in the way of the ball; it's deflected off it. You know, mm. it's like from our from our perspective, what did he see? Did he see intent that we didn't see? So it's just kind of to make that clarification because that you know undoubtedly would 
you know, puts, puts our girl under more pressure. Ironically, then playing slightly better with 10 men, perhaps they have the freedom and they, you know, more attacking players coming on in Coventry, growing a little bit in themselves. But, but yeah, certainly referees. I, I prefer more accountability only if, only if just to kind of uh, alleviate the issue when the frustrations, because the frustrations for the fans and the way that the referee sometimes looks, particularly on Saturday, the kind of the, the general, not just unaccountability, but there's almost a kind of untouchableness about them that makes mm. it frustrating for everyone. And they're certainly becoming quite a dominant part of post-match press conferences, aren't they? It seems to me that more and more. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, I think there is a degree, though, that there's always been, you know, penalties are always going to be a key talking point in games. Obviously, there's a lot more media coverage than perhaps there was in in days gone by and with social media and everything, you know, everyone can really debate it quite extensively. But um, penalty decisions and, and red cards have, have, uh, have been debated for, for a long time. Um, but I do think there's perhaps more, more of a spotlight placed on them these days just by the sheer amount of people and, and social media and the media in general wanting to know answers and, and comment on situations. And there was another incident in the Coventry game that we've not touched upon too much mm. just yet, and that's when Ryan Taylor went down in the box. Mm. For a moment, Argyle fans, and I think mm. all of us, thought that Argyle were about to get a penalty, but then mm. the referee mm. blew and gave Ryan Taylor a yellow card. After the game, Coventry City manager Mark Robbins said that diving is part of Argyle's makeup, and he knew what to expect from. Sorry, he knew to expect that when they came to uh, the Rico Arena. Chris, you see every Argyle game. Mm. Do you think that's a fair comment? Uh, I don't think Argyle are guilty of that any more than any other team. And uh, I'd include Coventry in that. Um, I think whether we like it or not, diving in the penalty area has become, I hesitate to say it, but probably become the norm. And players are putting referees under a lot of pressure. Mm. Um, players are great at diving these days. I mean, you know, sometimes... <laughs> they are though, Martin, I think. Don't, don't you think you watch games and you watch it on the TV or watch it live with your own eyes and you think, yeah, he's definitely made contact there, definitely made contact and then you look at it and, you know, they can just almost flick their leg onto a defender's leg or they can flick their leg up in the air to make it look as though they've been sent in a somersault. Um, so are Argyle any worse than anyone else? Do they have it in their makeup? I don't think they're anyone worse than, than they are. Have, have every penalty they've got been a certain penalty? Probably not. Um, I'm sure Mark Robbins would be quite happy if uh, if his players went down and won penalties when they weren't always um, necessarily nailed on spot kicks. I just think it's an aspect of the modern game that while we might not like it, it has crept in. And unless you go down the route of VAR and whether you could do that in League One, I don't know, because there's obviously considerable expense and, and uh, all the sort of stuff that goes on in the background... You, you are really leaving it down to one referee and an assistant to, uh, to come up with decisions. And players are so good at winning penalties that it, it's a real grey area. And that's the thing it takes, sometimes on TV, it takes you know, the slowest of replays to be able to notice it for the pundits. And even, it, so. even then, you're not sure sometimes. So, um, no, I, part of Argyle's makeup, I think it's a part of, of every team's makeup. If, if an opportunity presents itself for any team um, where they can win a penalty by embellishing a challenge or, or, or a dive, they'll do it. And um, I don't know whether managers would actively encourage their players to do it, but I'm sure the vast, vast majority of managers that aren't really in the dressing room going to have a go at a player 
for trying to win a penalty when it wasn't really a penalty. Well, it was interesting it, over the World Cup during the summer, Gareth Southgate was sort of asked about that. I can't remember, mm. I think it was either John Stones or Harry Maguire mm. went down. And he said, well, if England don't do part of that, they fall behind and they get punished for it. Martin, do you, do you think a team will get punished if they don't sort of adopt this sort of norm now? Um, I, I think it is a, a great grey area. Players are better at um, making more of the contact, perhaps. It's, it's more decisive than, uh, to help referees make up their minds so to speak but I think there is there's an element of it that um, it's right to like Mark Robbins comments were weird because you know obviously he's had him before as a player it almost seemed a little bit of a, yeah. a dig um, and I Ryan's one of those players he plays up against other people he's always having contact he's always getting banged uh, you know that's that's kind of the way he plays um, and I think he has to be canny about the way that he takes a lot of fouls out in the main, the main part of the pitch to get the team up the pitch mm. you know so in the box he's, uh, he's got every right to go down if he throws contact on him I think um, you know the more clear cut ones where players are actually actively diving and you can see that they're, they're not even looking to cut, cut across or to get a shot off they're just thinking how can I get this guy to look as though he's contacting me that sort of stuff you know there's no place in the game for that um, but it is very difficult um, to kind of snap that out completely because you know the, the, the slightest of touches could be seen as uh, you know contact. So does there need to be more retrospective action for these players that do obviously dive? But, is that but, a way without, but without VAR, I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you look at lots of incidents, and you and I, Jack, could look at the same incident on a TV replay, mm. and we could probably disagree even after a, uh, an action replay. You know, you you know, was contact made? Was a you know this that and the other? So. I think it's, it's, it's very difficult. That's why I'm saying I think the only way really of, of eradicating this is, is going the VAR route and having as many angles as possible. And when somebody is shown to have dived, then you take stern action. But the problem is in a League One game, mm. realistically, you know, are you going to have that many camera angles? You know, are you going to have somebody sat in a in a, a studio in London watching every single League One game going on. It's, it's not going to happen, is it? So it's, it's, it's a very difficult problem and a grey area. And I think one thing that I would agree with Martin that he made, there must be some history there between Mark Robbins and Ryan Taylor uh, from their time at Rotherham because... Uh, it was funny. It was a funny comment to make. It was very complimentary of Ryan Taylor pre-match yeah. and his pre-match comments. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, very, very. There's odd. something there, but um, no, I don't think it was a fair comment. I think you know, well, I don't like this, but I think pretty much every team in the league will try and win a penalty if they can, whether whether it really is a penalty or not. It is part and parcel of modern football. I don't like saying that, but I think it's. And perhaps past. if a player doesn't try and make the most of it and get a penalty and they don't win the game then people might be a bit annoyed so it's a losing well, situation you, you, really you sometimes it? hear commentators say don't you well if he, if he, he was too honest there if, he'd, if yeah. he tried to stay on his feet if he'd gone down he'd have won a penalty well you know we've talked about fine margins already haven't we Martin you know if, if, you're, yeah. if it's 1-0 in the closing minutes and you go in the box um, and you're thinking well there's a guy coming in just about make a tackle you know, whether he wins the ball or not I'm going down to try and get us a penalty so we equalise and we draw the game you're going to do it aren't you and you know, like you said, commentary, you've seen players that are tackled badly, but they manage to stay on their feet mm. and then they, they don't make most of the, chat, the situation and they yeah. don't get given anything. So. And then we'd all be sat there saying, well, if only you'd gone down. Yeah, yeah so it's a very, very mm. tough one. But obviously next up, Wickham and Peterborough. Gareth Ainsworth and Steve Evans coming to Home Park, so another quiet two games, I imagine, <laughs> yes. on the, the touchline. Yeah. The fourth official will definitely need some earplugs for those two games. We'll yeah. start with Wickham. Yeah. I think it's obviously a bit too early to say it's a must-win game, but Argyle really need to start picking up points as soon as they can, don't they? Well, two home games coming up, so they want to try and make the most of home advantage. They had a good um, record at home last season, didn't they? They went on a real good run of 
of, of wins at home park. So yes, they need to start picking up points. No, it's not a must-win game because it's game number four out of 46. But yeah, um, Wickham have got a point from the first three games. Argyle have got a point from the first three games. You can't imagine it's going to be anything other than a fairly cagey sort of game. Um, Wickham have got a great record at home park, as, yeah. as people probably know. Um, four wins and a draw in their last five visits. Um, so, you know, Gareth Ainsworth is, is used to coming down to home park, setting up his team in a certain way and getting, getting results. Um, I made that point to Derek Adams, you know, this morning when we were talking about Wickham and, and how good a record it, they um, had at home park. And uh, he said, well, records are there to be broken, which is true. Yeah. And he, he made the point that the last time Wickham came to Argyle was uh, Boxing Day or just after Christmas. Um, and Argyle were 3-1 up with half an hour to go and should have had the game wrapped up and ended up drawing it 3-3 after conceding a late goal. So, um, yeah, that'd be, um, you know... Games between Argyle and Wickham normally have a little bit of uh, bit of everything. Normally a few goals, a few talking points. So um, yeah, it will be uh, an interesting Tuesday night game, I think. And obviously, I can fend where Martin, the the Argyle defenders, are going to be tested quite heavily on Tuesday night, aren't they? Yes. Well, I mean, that's, that's I mean, it's a double edged sword, isn't it? When you when Bale plays because he's so he's not he's not as mobile as he used to be, and every, he becomes the focal point. So mm. they, they have to play through. And I thought Argyle away last year dealt with him quite well. I I can't remember what the final result was. I was doing the commentary. 1-1, well, I yeah. think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, Nathan Blissett yeah. scored an equaliser, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. That was yeah. it. So, um, but that was a, a perfect example of it. You know, the effectiveness of that, but there's good players around him. So Wickham do have good players, but if he plays, it's, you know, it's the attention of playing up front with him at Torquay. It was weird playing up front with him and then me being a small guy. Do you know what I mean? That's <laughs> the thing. Had, I think it was me, him and Leon Clinton saying up front, so we were a fairly big forward line at the time. Um, but, no, he's, he's, you know, and he's... <sighs> He is getting on a bit, but I think it's Argyle at home. You know, for the fans, a brilliant turnout from the fans again on on Saturday. Wasn't it? What nearly sixteen hundred? And then, um, so if the home crowd is, you know, can get from pack it in and, and get some good support. I think uh, having the home advantage will be a great thing for Argyle on Tuesday. And that's the thing: the more the more stick I can Fenwell gets from uh, from opposition fans, the better he seems to do. So he, he, th- <laughs> he thrives on that. So and and I suppose the thing is, is that he's he's never been mobile or quick anyway, has he? So the the fact that he's getting older is not necessarily having too much of an impact on him because he can still do what he's always done, which is you know hold off centre backs, make it virtually impossible for them to to get in front of him and uh, nip the ball yep. away from him before he takes it in. Once Akin Fenwell's got the ball. Um, around and about and he's got more ability than I think he gets given given credit yeah. and then that Wickham can play off mm-hmm. there and um, I mean he's, he's been an excellent signing for them he really has and also yeah. then it's Peterborough on the Saturday mm-hmm. so Steve Evans returning yeah. to home park that's always a fiery affair whether it's players or the manager himself so uh, it's fiery whatever game Steve Evans <laughs> is involved in Jack yeah. um, so that, that'll be a good one for the crowd but I'll ask you both uh, lastly. So, so from these two games, what would be a successful outcome o- over the two? Six would be six points would be fantastic, great. Set everyone down. If you offered me four points now, I'd, I'd take four points. So I think that would be successful. And people have made a good start, haven't they, Martin? It'll be a tough test. Yeah, they will be. I think um, uh, just uh, as Chris says, you get something at both of those games. You know, uh, getting a win on getting a win and getting on that, that on the board would be massive, particularly after on the back of the Bristol result. I mean, that was that was a, a really good thing for the dressing room. So I hope mm. that's still carrying some confidence through the lads. Fantastic. Well, then we'll leave it there. Um, thanks very much, Martin, for joining us. Um, and I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast one day, and the fans will be able to hear you on BBC Radio Devon. I'm sure in this not too distant future. 
Chris, thanks for joining us. Yes, I'm sorry, Cameron. A pleasure. Thanks, guys. No worries. And Chris, thanks for joining us again. Next week, we'll be uh, looking back on the Peter and Wickham game and looking forward to the Millwall game. Millwall on a a Wednesday, away from home. Oh, oh, the joys. (laughs) Chris can barely contain his excitement. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. (laughs) Fantastic. Join us again next week.